listeners, my name is Veronica Kim, and you are now listening to Unity in Christ. It is our posture as Christians to always be joyful, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in everything that we do. I hope to live my life this way every day. Today, I want to discuss prayer with all of you. We pray to God to lean on Him, hold fast to Him, and to know His will for us. Prayer is a way for us to open up to God about all the thoughts in our hearts, and at the same time, it is a way for us to learn God's will for us. This is why prayer is a way for us to have a conversation and relationship with God. We take the time to ask for our needs and tell God all our wants and hopes for our lives as we have this conversation through prayer. When we pray like this to God and finally receive that answer that we have been waiting for, it is incomparable to any happiness and joy that you have felt before. It is in moments like this that we praise God and often tell others about what He has done for us. On the other hand, if our prayers are not answered, even after praying to God, letting Him know all our needs and hopes, if our lives don't turn out the way we hoped, how do we feel then? I have a friend from childhood that was very disappointed because God did not answer her prayers. She told me that she no longer believed in God. How do you all feel when you believe that God has not answered all your prayers?
In the beginning of my faith journey, there were times when my prayers were not answered. I questioned why God didn't answer some of my prayers and why He pushed me in other directions. But those questions began to change into complaints. That was when I happened to read through the book of James. The verse that stood out most to me was chapter 4, verse 3. It says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I prayed every day thinking about the verse that told me to pray without ceasing. But I think that I prayed without rest for my selfishness and pleasures. So, I decided to pray earnestly to God, putting away my selfish needs and to focus on knowing the will of God for my life. That's when I began to hear many answers from God. However, there were still some prayers that I felt God did not want to answer or was saying no to. Because I felt God kept silent and was saying no to my needs and prayers, I began to feel disappointed. I started to doubt that prayers actually worked. That is when I began to pray less, and the days that I prayed to God decreased as well. That is when I had the opportunity to study 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-9. through 9. It was those verses that made me look back at my life and how I had prayed to God. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul was said to have diseases like epilepsy and eye disease. It is true that Paul had a disease that was apparent in his physical appearance. Paul described this disease as a thorn in the flesh. This disease must have really felt like a thorn to him while he was spreading the words of God. It must have been hard for Paul to preach about how God heals and restores those who have faith while having a physical disease that others could see. This could possibly deter them from having faith in God. That is why Paul asked the Lord three times about this disease leaving his body. But God did not answer his prayer. If I was Paul, I would have been very confused about why God did not answer my prayers. Didn't Paul himself have the power to heal others? It says in Acts chapter 19 verses 11 and 12 that God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. How confusing must it have been for him when he was able to heal others of their disease, yet there was nothing he could do about his sickness. But Paul was very happy after he prayed to God three times, asking him to remove the disease from him. Paul realized why God did not answer his prayers. He realized that the reason why his prayers were not answered 
was so that the power of Christ would dwell in him.
Coming up next is sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is You Are Not Alone, Part 2, based on Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. Well, let's come to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. Come back over with me. This Luke's second book. Look in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 4. When the Holy Spirit comes down on the New Testament church for the first time at Pentecost. What happens there? Same thing. Look at verse 4, chapter 2. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. Circle it. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Speaking in all kinds of different languages. Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 8. What happens here? This is Peter coming before the Sanhedrin with John. And it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. There you go. Mark it down in your Bibles. What did he do? He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, he begins to preach about salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter later says. There's no other name under heaven whereby we can be saved. He begins to preach when the Spirit comes upon him. One more time in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Listen to this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what did they do? They spoke the word of God boldly. Two more times. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Told you we were going to do a little Bible drill. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 20. Look at what happens here. We've got to see the consistency. Scripture's repeating this over and over again. Verse 17 in Acts chapter 9. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and may be, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happened? Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Spirit comes on Saul, at once he began to preach. One more time, Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, again with Saul or Paul. I want you to look with me in verse 9. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. And Saul, Paul has been sent off on his first missionary journey. It says, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. So eight times, Luke says, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all eight times, the automatic result is they began to speak about God. They began to speak about the gospel. They began to speak the word of God. Now that's pretty consistent. Old Testament, New Testament alike. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose in our lives is to enable us to be proclaimers of God's word, to be proclaimers of grace and mercy of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. That is the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now I want you to see, I want you to turn me back to Acts chapter 2. I want you to see my favorite part of this whole idea that the Holy Spirit is in us to proclaim the gospel. Don't miss this. You've got to look at this. I know, I know you've been turning a lot. I want you to turn, come back with me to Acts chapter 2. Don't miss the purpose of the Holy Spirit here. This is an incredible passage. Look in verse 16 as Peter begins to preach. In verse 16, the Bible says, Peter told them, no, this is what spoke, was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, here's the first Christian sermon, and Peter quotes from the Old Testament. Anybody know where he quotes from? Where is he quoting from here? Shout it out. Where is he quoting from? Joel. Joel, what chapter? Joel chapter 2. Now, are these just Bible scholars in the audience? Well, maybe so, but you probably got a little note in your Bible. It takes you to the bottom. There's Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. There you go. We can all be Bible scholars, okay? Now, here's what I want us to do. I know you've been turning a lot, but you can't, you, you got to see this. You can't miss this. What I want us to do is, I want us to compare what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 with what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. Go ahead and turn back with me there, because there is a difference. Joel chapter 2, little book in the Old Testament. If you need to use your, uh, your concordance or, or table of contents, feel free to. Right after Hosea, I want you to turn me to Joel chapter 2. Because in Joel, we're going to see that there's a difference between what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and what Joel says in Joel chapter 2. So let's compare them. Let's put them side by side and see the difference. Look in, uh, look in Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Hold your place over here in Acts chapter 2. We're going to have to look both of them at the same time. But you can't miss. you got, you got to see this. Look at this. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now compare that with Acts chapter 2, verse 17. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. He switches it around a little bit here. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Pretty much the same. Good job, Peter. Now let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse 29. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Then he puts a period on it there. Come back to Acts chapter 2, verse 18. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Wait a second, no period here. Peter says, and they will prophesy. Now do you see that anywhere in Joel chapter 2? No, it kind of goes on. That's not in Joel chapter 2. Great job, Peter. You blew it. First Christian sermon, and you misquoted the Old Testament. I mean, for years, we're going to look back and see that Peter messed up the first Christian sermon. Did he misquote the Old Testament? Or did he do this intentionally? Why would Peter, think about it, why would Peter add the words, and they will prophesy in Acts chapter 2 when they weren't in Joel chapter 2? Well, let's think about the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, were a few people prophets or a lot of people prophets? Just a few people, right? Guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Ezekiel. These were prophets who had the responsibility to speak for God. We get to the New Testament, though. Holy Spirit comes down at Pentecost. Remember, the very beginning of this thing said, I will pour out my spirit on all people, all who place their faith in Christ. And Peter says, and they will prophesy. That's a much different picture than the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we've got a lot of people who are prophesying. All people who have placed their faith in Christ are prophesying. Do you realize what this means? For every single one of us in this room who has placed our faith in Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, do you know what this makes you? You are a 
Prophet. Now, that's pretty cool. We're prophets. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we go out with big orange neon crosses on the streets of Birmingham and yell condemnation and, and preach about the coming judgment of the Lord? Is that what we do as prophets? No. The prophet had one simple job. Take the Word of God in our hearts and speak it to his people. That's what a prophet did. And what I want to say to you this morning is that every single one of you in this room who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have the God-given responsibility of being a prophet. That which was reserved for a few people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, heroes of the faith in the Old Testament has now been put on you. And you have the ability, the responsibility to go out and to tell people the word of God, to simply introduce others to the gospel that has transformed your life. Isn't that incredible? Now that, that is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We've seen it throughout Scripture. Holy Spirit comes on people and they go out and they speak. They give witness. They testify to what they've seen and heard. That's why we see this word witness used 29 times in the book of Acts over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit is coming upon people, filling them so that they can tell people about the gospel. That's how the gospel would go forth. Now, in light of that, I want us to think about a few misconceptions I think we sometimes get in the church about this whole witnessing thing. You know, sometimes people say, well, Dave, I, I really don't have what it takes to witness effectively. Now, I know that some of us in this room are more outgoing than others. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. We have different gifts, different personalities. But I want you to see from Scripture this morning is that the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in you. And He is in you. He is in each one of you, not just the person beside you, in front of you, or behind you, but He is in you to enable you to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel. So do not, please, I urge you, do not say, I do not have what it takes to share the gospel effectively. You do. When you say that, you are doubting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is in you for this purpose. Other people say, well, well Dave, I witness with my life. I witness by being a good person. Now, there's a grain of truth to that. Obviously, our lives need to be able to back up our words. I think it was St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Well, no offense whatsoever intended to St. Francis, but it's just not biblical. If we leave the church at Brook Hills this morning, go out into our homes and our workplaces this week, we put a smile on our face and we live nice, moral lives. Will the result be people bowing their heads, giving their hearts to a saving relationship with Christ, beginning to follow Him through baptism and get involved in the church simply because we have been nice? No. It has to be verbal at some point, doesn't it? You know, it's something interesting. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses. In the original language of the New Testament, I'm going to impress you a little bit with a little Greek here, okay? You ready? Hold on to your seats. This word witness in the New Testament, it's martyreo. The only reason I share that with you is because that's the word from which we get the word martyr today. It's pretty amazing, huh? Jesus says these words to 11 guys in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Ten out of 11 of them die a martyr's death. I want to ask you a question. Did they die because they had lived good moral lives? No, these men lost their lives because they stood up and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two teenage girls died recently in Indonesia. Not because they went out and put a smile on their faces. It's because they went out and told people that Jesus is good and he is gracious and they lost their lives because of it. People I read just last night in Nigeria have lost their lives 
not because they went out with smiles on their faces and lived good moral lives. They lost their lives because they had staked their life in Jesus Christ and they proclaimed that to those around them. May we not, hundreds of miles away, look at them and say, well, that's good for you, but we're going to witness with our lives. Other people say, well, and we have the tendency to think, well, I, Dave, I witness when the Holy Spirit leads me. And again, there's a grain of truth to that. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. I would definitely say that. But these words, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, written and read in some of your Bibles, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses. Do you know what this means? You can now consider yourselves led by the Holy Spirit of God. And this frees you up. You don't have to wait for some tingly feeling to go down your spine and think, ah, oh, I guess I need to share the gospel now. That's not the way Scripture works. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you walk out of these doors, you are led by the Holy Spirit of God to tell people about how great Jesus is. We don't have to wait for some special emotion or some tingly thing to come over us. This is the purpose that the Holy Spirit is in us for. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, if we witness when the Holy Spirit leads us, then we would be active in sharing the gospel. He's already led us to do it. Finally, maybe one of my favorites is, well, Dave, the Holy Spirit would never lead me to do something that I am uncomfortable doing. We don't have the opportunity. But I wonder what Stephen would say if we asked him how comfortable it was when he shared the gospel. I wonder what Paul would say if we said, how comfortable was it when you shared the gospel? These guys realized the gospel was more important than their comfortability. And the gospel was more important than their reputation. And the gospel was more important than anything in their lives. That's why Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can go everywhere and testify to the gospel of grace. It's that important. That's the purpose for the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning, not to put a guilt trip on you or anything along those lines, but just to say, are you fulfilling the purpose of the Spirit in you? Because I believe with all my, power, all my heart that if we walk out of here and we don't give ourselves to this purpose, we'll mess, miss out completely on his power. He fills us with power and he gives us a purpose. Finally, he outlines our plans. He outlines the plans for our life and for the church. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you see Jesus say to these guys, you're going to take this gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And some of you know that's an outline for the entire book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 through 7, you can write it down. The gospel goes to Jerusalem. And then with Stephen's death at the end of Acts chapter 7, get to Acts chapter 8, the gospel begins to spread to Judea and Samaria. Get to the end of chapter 9, you see the gospel has gone throughout Judea and Samaria, and now it's in the hands of this guy named, named Paul and some of his companions. And we see the church begin to take hold in Acts chapter 10 of the nations, and Antioch becomes a sending base for sending the gospel to the ends of the earth from Acts chapter 10 all the way to Acts chapter 28. Acts 1 through 7, Jerusalem. Acts 8 and 9, Judea and Samaria. Acts 10 through 28, to the ends of the earth. That was the plan of the Holy Spirit. We're going to take this gospel, the whole gospel, to the whole world, to the whole church. That was the plan. And I've got this feeling the plan has not changed from that day until now. The plan is still the same. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit, who is in this room and who is dwelling in our lives, wants to take the whole gospel through the whole church to the whole world. When you look at this picture and you see 120 people filled with the Spirit of God turning the world upside down, we've got to ask the question in this room, what would happen? What would happen if we took serious 
the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life and we gave ourselves to this plan. But somewhere along the way, we have a tendency to lose sight of the purpose. I, I remember a little over a year ago, I had taken a group of students from the seminary to India. India is an incredibly unreached nation. Many people, many people that have never heard the name of Jesus, heard the gospel. There's 1.4 billion people in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, 1.4 billion of them. And we have, Baptists have about 200 missionaries there for 1.4 billion people. It's a great need. And we were in this city, a city of 7 million people, most of whom had little or no knowledge of the gospel, going out to people in the streets and sharing the gospel. And they say, who is Jesus? I'm not familiar with this. Never heard his name. We took him one day to the highest point in this city. It was the Hindu temple. And at this temple, I mean, people just bowing down and worshiping all these gods that they had set up, giving their money to the gods. And we walked around some, and we came to this point where you could look out over the whole city. And we looked out over that city, and literally, if you can just imagine with me, looking out over a city of seven million people and knowing that most of the people who are in your eyesight have little or no knowledge of the gospel. As I looked out over that city, God just kept bringing two words to my mind and to my heart. I looked out over that city and God said, Dave, wake up. Wake up. Dave, stop trying to build your own kingdom. Stop getting so embroiled with the little world that is around you. Get in on the plan of my spirit. I want the world for Christ. Brook Hills, wake up. It's not about our differences. It's not about the different opinions or ideas we have on this or that. It's not about our different gifts or personalities or what we bring to the table. It's about winning Birmingham for Christ and the nations for Christ with the spirit of power that has been entrusted to us. That is why he is in us. And Satan, I believe, will do everything he can to get us sidetracked from that purpose. He will bring division. He will bring us focused on all kinds of different things in the church as long as he can get our, our focus off the mission. And I want to say to you this morning, the Spirit's plan is to take Birmingham for Christ, and I want to challenge you as a church to get in on it. And the Spirit's plan is to take the nations for Christ, and I want to challenge you to get on it. Say, God, use us at this church. Use us as individuals. We want to change the world for Jesus Christ. And it's that kind of heart, that kind of surrender to the Spirit, that kind of surrender that says, Holy Spirit, have a monopoly on us, that I believe, I believe we can see the same things happen that we saw in the book of Acts happen in our lives today. Do you want that? Do you long for that? Holy Spirit fills us with power and he gives us purpose and he outlines the plans. As I was praying this week through this passage of scripture and thinking about this morning, I wanted to give you an opportunity this morning to put feet to this passage, to, to apply it in your lives. And so this morning, I want us to do something a little different. I, I want to challenge you this morning. Take God at his word in your life. I know that across this room, there are very few of you who would say, I'm eager, I feel great, I know that I can do this, I'll go out and share the gospel. Many of us feel very uncomfortable when it comes to this thing. And just like we've seen in Scripture, that's, that's the point. Because that's when God will show His strength the most. So I want to challenge you this week to take God at His word. And up here at the front, there's some baskets up here all along the front. And in the baskets, there's some cards.
And the card on the very front of it simply says, you are not alone. And it has this verse from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And on the back of this card, some statements. It says, Lord, thank you that your power works in me through the Holy Spirit. Show your power through me as I witness to. Kind of has a blank there for someone's name or a group of people in your life. Today and in the coming days. I know that I am not alone. I know that it is in your strength and your ability that I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this friend. Thank you for using me for your kingdom. Amen.
There are many cases of delivery delays, lost, or damaged CDs right before or after Christmas due to the increase in packages during the holidays. We predict that deliveries during that time may not go as smooth as non-holiday season. If you did not receive your CD, please contact our office right away to receive a replacement copy. The number is 602-866-8999. Thank you. Following is a program on the Sermon on the Mount. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with the Sermon on the Mount. During the last session, we studied together about the Sermon on the Mount and about how Jesus came to fulfill the law and that all of God's words will be fulfilled. Jesus also told us that if we are not better than the Pharisees and the clerks, then we will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus then taught us that the interpretations and practice of the commandments by the Pharisees were incorrect and teaches us the correct meaning of the commandments. Those commandments were about murder, adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, and enemies. Today, we will learn about the first item, murder. Let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. When Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the clerks about their mistakes on how they interpreted and followed the six laws, he always started by saying, You have heard that the ancients were told. If you look at verse 21, it says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. If you also look at verse 27, which we will study in the next lesson, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. The purpose of saying, You have heard that it was said, was to show that Jewish followers heard and followed the commandments the way it was told by the Pharisees and the clerks. Then Jesus says, For I say unto you, before he teaches them the correct and original meaning of the commandments. This does not mean that Jesus is telling them to discard the old commandments and teaching them a new one. He is correcting the way it has been taught to them and teaching them the original and correct meaning of the commandments that God intended them to follow. 
How did the Pharisees and the clerks translate and apply the commandment of murder, and what is it that Jesus teaches us through their mistakes? As all of you know very well, Thou shall not murder is the sixth commandment in the Ten Commandments. God dealt with murder very strictly. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 states, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Because all men are created in the image of God and dignified by God, murdering that life is strictly forbidden by God. The Pharisees and the clerks believed that they were following this commandment by not murdering anyone with their own hands. But Jesus tells us in verse 22 that whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. To be angry or even curse at your brother is a sin that is the same as murder. The word angry in verse 22 refers to allowing your anger and hatred to grow inside of you. To hate or show anger to someone else is to want to hurt or destroy them. I can be destructive with words or even through hurtful actions. God is telling us to have hatred for your brother or to curse him who is created from the image of God is the same as destroying him. That is why the person whoever is angry with his brother will be guilty before God. They shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. That is why God tells us in verses 23 and 24 that if you remember that your brother has something against you, then you must go and reconcile with him. Even though it's at a time you're giving an offering to God, Leave your offering at the altar and first go reconcile with your brother and then come back and present your offering. This does not mean that worshiping God is less important, but that it's very important to reconcile with your brother in a timely manner. If someone is worshiping God with hatred in their hearts, will God accept their worship with joy? No, he would not. To hurt or hate your brother, who has been created in the image of God, and then worship and praise God would be completely wrong. There is one thing you have to think about. In the earlier verses, it says, one that shows hatred toward your brother. In verse 23, it says, when your brother has something against you. This is not saying that a person who has hatred for a brother should go to him to settle the problem. It is telling us that if you feel that your brother has something against you, then you should go right away to reconcile with him. This is a person who has done something for the brother to be against him. We should not show hatred toward our brother as well as do something wrong to have our brother show hatred and anger towards us. And if you are reminded of something wrong you did to your brother, then you should go right away to reconcile. Verse 25 states, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law why you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. In verse 26 states, Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there 
until you have paid up the last cent. This is talking about instances that would have you in prison or the importance of reconciling before you end up there. Back in those times, if you were not able to pay off your debt, you were kept in prison until the debt was paid off. In similar ways, if you do not reconcile with a brother who you have wronged, then you will be judged by God. The Pharisees and the clerks translated the commandment, Thou shall not murder, so that it was convenient for them. They believed that as long as they did not physically murder somebody with their own hands, they were allowed to hate or curse someone else. That is why they felt no guilt when they followed Jesus around and hated and cursed him. They were proud that they followed the Ten Commandments perfectly. But Jesus tells us that if we show hatred and have growing anger towards our brothers, it is the same as murdering them, and you will be judged by God. This is not something new that Jesus added to the commandments. This is what love your neighbor as you love yourself means. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 17 says, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. If we follow the commandment just like the Pharisees and the clerks did, then we are committing murder in the eyes of God. We are not excused from God's judgment if we do not repent to God and live in harmony with our brothers. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding him. We should take the time to look back at our lives. We should ask ourselves if we have any hatred growing in our hearts, or if we have done something to have someone else feel hatred towards us. And if the Holy Spirit reminds us of this situation, then we must go right away to reconcile with our brother, even though our pride gets in the way. Today we studied about what Jesus taught us about murder in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Next time, we will learn about the sins of adultery and divorce. Thank you for listening, and God bless. The scars upon
That our prayers are answered only when they are answered the way we were hoping for. But God does not answer prayers according to what we want, but what He has planned for our lives. The ruler of our prayers is not us, but God. There is always a reason for God not answering our prayers. God does not answer our prayers because we do not need that in our lives, or He has something bigger planned for our lives. God did not answer Paul's prayers by simply getting rid of his disease, but God had something better planned for him by using Paul's weakness to instill Christ's powers in him. You and I both must have this kind of faith in God. He only wants what's best for all of us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I hope that all of you spend the next week having God as the head of all your prayers, remembering to be always joyful and never cease praying. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to meet all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week, and God bless. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all to us. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful to the end. We are.
just passing. World is over. We will see you face to face and forever. We will worship Jesus. You are all to us, Jesus. You are all to us. Everything to me.